Good morning. So as David has said, we're kicking off a new series in Joshua this morning, and the series is called Life After 40. I'm going to let you think about why the series is entitled that, and we'll come back to it later. I suggested to David in my naivety and ignorance that we could call it Life Begins at 40, but he didn't seem to think that was quite accurate. Um, I'll have to take his word for that and trust his personal experience on that one. And the cartoon on the web did have the word Dave in it. I didn't put it in there, so there you go. So if, you want, if you've got your Bible there or there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 1, if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 216. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan, towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go, just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Would you class yourself as a success? Is your life a success? We're getting stuck in here right away and not pulling any punches. But in your daily activities, are you a success? In your relationships, 
with your spouse, your family, your friends? Are you a success? I doubt there's many of us who are comfortable with that kind of questioning. And if you are, you're probably in the wrong sermon as we're not covering pride this morning. But I suspected if most of us were able to think clearly about what we wanted our lives to be, success would probably cover it. How that manifests might vary. Money, power, fame, achievement, legacy, recognition. Success covers it all. It's something that people today are obsessed with. And here's one of these lovely cheesy posters that you see on the walls of high-powered office buildings. The text reads, success. It's not the position you stand, but the direction in which you look. Yeah, right. I prefer the somewhat cynical versions that you can find. Defeat. For every winner, there are dozens of losers. Odds are you're one of them. Anyway, I went onto Amazon's website and typed in, selected books, and typed in success. And there were only 246,343 results. I didn't quite get to look through all of them, but a few of them did stand out. There's the success principles. How to get from where you are to where you want to be. Mindset. The new psychology of success. The seven spiritual laws of success. A practical guide to the fulfillment of your dreams. And I can make you thin, 90-day success journal. (laughs) These aren't on the bookstall at the back of the church. But the self-help, self-improvement, self-realization, self-esteem market is massive. And you might note the common word running through those genres. And obviously many people crave success, or there wouldn't be so many books about it. And obviously most of us aren't successful or there wouldn't be so many books about it. Well, the good news is that you don't need to read the 246,343 books on Amazon, as in this chapter of Joshua, we're going to explore and uncover the secrets of truly successful living. And we're going to look at it in three ways. God's presence, be strong and courageous. God's word, be successful and prosper. And God's people, be obedient together. So firstly, God's presence, be strong and courageous. Transitions are difficult times. And not many of us like great upsetting changes. Even the most spontaneous, free-spirited amongst us might be unsettled by significant life-altering changes. And if you're an OCD routine control freak like my family seem to think I am for some reason, well, then change is bad, full stop. But in life, however, change is natural. Transitions occur. And we're all aware of a number of them, and some are thought by many to be good. Some are thought to be bad or bad to worse. Some are thought to be uncertain. And some others, well, just different. At the start of Joshua, though, the people are facing a massive change, a great transition. The book starts immediately after a funeral, for Moses has died, and the people have mourned him for 30 days. The people of Israel were standing on the east bank of the Jordan River and Canaan, the promised land, lay on the other side. The Israelites had been wandering in the desert for 40 years and you may now understand the title of the sermon series. Joshua himself had been serving alongside Moses for 40 years and at this point he's probably 80 years old. Well, surely it's time for retirement. 
Moses is dead, perhaps it's time for Joshua to let a younger person take the lead. But God had a different plan. The opening verses are almost quite stark. God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River. Well, was this really a big deal? I mean, sure, Josh has been in the wings and he's ready to step up and take charge. Is it so difficult that he needs a big pep talk here in Joshua 1 to make sure that he's up for it? Let's remember a few things about Moses. And let's turn back in our Bibles over the page to the end of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 34 and the last three verses, verses 10 to 12. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses, the leader who delivered God's plagues to Egypt, who debated with Pharaoh, who opened the Red Sea at God's direction, the man who talked with God on the mountain and received the law of God directly from God himself, Moses who saw the back of God and whose face shone with the radiance of God's glory, and Moses who interceded for God's people when God threatened to destroy every last one of them for their unfaithfulness. Well, right now, who wants to follow that? Is the job itself going to be hard? Well, you're standing beside a wide, vast, fast-flowing river. And if you do get across, on the other side are fierce nations with walled, heavily defended towns. And the last time people from Israel set foot in that land, they came back with horror stories of giants and warriors. So would you fancy the task that was set before Joshua? That might not be quite the situation that we face. But we all face change and transition. And we all face challenges in our lives that can seem insurmountable at times. Perhaps you're a student at university and you're stepping out from the shelter of your home and familiar environment. You're moving into adulthood and making that transition. Perhaps you're at the stage of making the transition into marriage. Or perhaps the challenges and transitions of of starting a new family and taking on that awesome new responsibility. We face challenges in our daily lives and activities where things might never seem to be standing still long enough for us to even catch our breath. Perhaps it's the transition of coming to terms with losing someone from your life for whatever reason. And our spiritual lives, the challenges of sin, of disappointment, of failures, Sometimes it feels as if we can barely even stand up and face what is in front of us, let alone think of being a success. I'm fairly sure Joshua must have felt something like this. And God knew it, which is why we have the words that we've read here in Joshua 1. God is a loving, caring, heavenly father. He doesn't just tell Joshua to grit his teeth, dry his eyes and get on with it. Look at verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. The same promise he made to Moses, he makes afresh to Joshua. The leader may have changed, but God's promise hasn't. In fact, this is the same promise of land that he made to Abraham. The God of Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses and Joshua, the God of Windsor Baptist, the God of you and me. His promises still stand sure today. Verse 5, though, is incredible for Joshua to hear. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What must it have meant to Joshua to hear those words? Moses, the man who entered God's presence and talked with him, and God will as surely be with Joshua. What Joshua needed to realize was that he didn't need Moses. He needed Moses' God. The presence of God promised to Joshua for all the days of his life. It might be a different leader, but it's the same God. It might be a different man from Moses, but it's the same God. The challenges might be different, but it's the same God who never changes. That's all very well for Joshua, of course, but what does it mean for us? Well, if you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, you'll see the God-inspired writer of Hebrews extending this promise to all of God's people. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Echoing the very words of Jesus himself that we've already looked at this morning earlier, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You might not be a leader of God's people. You probably don't have God speaking to you directly. You might be facing very different challenges, but one thing, one thing remains the same. Our God does not change and his promises do not fail. In this world where change is relentless, where you might feel you're being dragged along in an uncontrollable current, where people change, disappoint you, let you down, where people are unfaithful, in all this there is one fixed constant that has not, does not, and will never change. Our God, and he will never leave us or forsake us. I'm sure Joshua clung to these words. And I've no doubt that he returned to them again and again when he faced the difficult times that we'll hear about in future weeks. We can so easily lose sight of this truth and begin to panic. We forget that God is there with us. It's as if we can't see him. I remember a time on holiday a few years ago in Centre Parks, and if you've ever been there, you'll know there's this massive great swimming pool complex with lots of slides and everything. And Amy was about four years old at the time, and we were walking together from one part of the complex to another, and she ran on ahead of us a bit, as children tend to do, and she took a wrong turning, and we were caught up behind another big group of people and couldn't catch up to her immediately. But we could see her. But when she turned and couldn't see us, she immediately began to panic. She got upset. She was worried. It was only a minute or so, but all that time, she was never out of our sight. We are never out of God's sight, even when it seems as if we can't see him or feel his presence. Especially in those times, know that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never change or break his promises. So because of this, God says to Joshua and to us, be strong. And courageous. He tells Joshua, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. And someone once said, Courage is being afraid 
but going on anyhow. God commands us to be strong and courageous. He has given us the reason why we can be strong and courageous. He is with us. When we are on God's mission, when God is with us in pursuit of his promises, we can be strong and very courageous. Secondly then, God's word, be successful and prosper. You've no idea how tempted I was to call this section live long and prosper, but I couldn't quite manage the right hand signal. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's probably for the best. God has told Joshua to be strong and to be very courageous, but in case Joshua's at risk of getting overconfident or complacent, the next words sound a warning or a reminder. Be careful. For following God is not about one truth in isolation. Or rather, there's no one magic secret formula that if you cling to it alone, everything else can be ignored. It wasn't just that Joshua could only remember that God was with him and he could steam ahead and do what he wanted. The presence of God is the foundation for Joshua's life. But God wants to build on that foundation. God says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. God was with Joshua. He would never leave him. That was the promise of God's grace. But God desires a response. He desires obedience. Not to earn God's favor, but as the rightful response to it. This is a challenging instruction. We aren't good at following God's law without turning away. Yes, we might go along with most of it, but at some points we keep turning away to the right or to the left. And for each of us, those points will most likely be very different. But it speaks of needing an intense focus, a strong desire to obey God, to follow him without any deviation. And it gives me the picture of a horse pulling a cart with those blinkers to stop them from being distracted from the path they should follow. For not only does God desire obedience, he desires our total and full obedience in every way. He is a gracious God, but he is most certainly a holy God. Another picture that came into my head was that of Blondin, the tightrope walker, who walked across Niagara Falls. In that situation, we'd probably all agree the importance of not turning away to the right or to the left. Blondin kept going without any deviation. Well, then yes, he would be successful, as he was. If not, it's a different story. But sadly, in many Christian circles today, whilst the grace of God might be rightly cherished and preached, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of sin, the need for obedience can often be glossed over. We're so concerned to avoid being seen as legalistic that we can sacrifice obedience. How is it in your life? Have you become desensitized to certain sins over time? Have you got used to them? Are they familiar and acceptable to you? These are well-worn paths that you take leading you away to the right and to the left. But these seemingly inconsequential and little sins offend our gracious, holy God. And they're the very sins that took our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the cross 
to die in agony to purchase our forgiveness. Before continuing in service of God, before embarking on God's mission, God leaves Joshua in no doubt what God desires from him and his people. And the promised reward is great, that you may be successful wherever you go. What a thought. Successful wherever you go. Is that not what we want? In life at times, we can find ourselves floundering with the decisions that we face. Which way should we go? What should we do? Where should I live? What job should I do? Who should I marry? Which church should I go to? And at times, we can be seemingly paralyzed by indecision as it appears as if God is not giving us the clear answers that we need. But the reality is, how you travel is more important than where you go. How you travel is more important than where you go. Because God is more concerned with how you do your job rather than which job you do. He's more concerned with how you live your life rather than where you live your life. He's more concerned with whether your potential spouse is godly and walking with him than if they're blonde or brunette. If you're walking in obedience to God's law as we have it in the Bible, then you are walking in God's will and you are living successfully. And in light of that, some of the other decisions become easier. We're liberated to make decisions with godly common sense. Yes, seeking wise advice, but knowing that we're walking obediently with God. How can we be obedient like this? It's hard and we fail so often. But God tells Joshua what is essential for such obedience. Verse 8 is a key verse in this passage in the book for our whole lives. If you're looking for a life verse, here's one. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. To be obedient to God's law, we must know it. And it must permeate every aspect of our being. Let it be on our lips. Let God's words come easily to our mouths. Let them never be far from our tongue. And for this to be the case, it needs to be in our minds. Meditate on it day and night. Or one way of translating this is to mutter it day and night. Let your mind go over God's words again and again, from first thought in the morning to last thought at night. Make that a discipline. Let God and his word be first and last in your thoughts each day. This reminds me of a crazy but wonderful Christian friend I had at university. He shared a room with another guy in the CU and I remember one day he was telling me about his roommate and how spiritual he was. So I asked him to elaborate. And he told me that his roommate talked in his sleep but more than that he quoted scripture in his sleep. My friend said that he was going to pray that God would sanctify his dreams so that he might quote scripture in his sleep too. Then he puzzled over how he would know if God had answered his prayer. So he thought about leaving a tape recorder running to record if he did start speaking scripture in the middle of the night. So my friend's heart was in the right place, even if his enthusiasm was a little misdirected. Because it's not a tape recorder that will tell you if God's word is permeating your life. It's your obedience If you don't study God's word, learn it, know it, meditate on it, you won't obey it. 
If you want to be obedient, you must absorb God's word like a sponge absorbs water, soaking through you and dripping out of you. Dale Roth Davis, in his excellent book on Joshua, says, A life pleasing to God does not arise from mystical experiences or warm feelings or a new gimmick. No, it comes from the word God has already spoken and from obedience to that word. And what a promise. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Not in the way that the world measures it. As we've seen in these past few years, success of varying kinds is so fleeting and temporary. Treasure stored on earth where moth and rust decay, where thieves or bankers steal away. And also success is not measured by what other people think of you. And we'd all agree with that. But here's a different thought. Success, say, in Christian ministry, is not necessarily measured by how fruitful it might be. And that one might not seem as immediately right to you. But there are Christians who labor obediently for the Lord for many years, and sometimes there can be little fruit to see as a result. There may not be many people turning to Christ. There may not be evidences of wide outpourings of the Spirit. So is that how we measure success? No, because true success is not mainly about how fruitful your ministry, your calling, your life might be. It's more about how faithful you are. True success is measured in faithfulness, not necessarily external fruitfulness. Do you truly want to be successful and prosperous as God defines it? Do you truly want to be successful wherever you go? Here is the secret of success. Know God's word filling every part of you, every day, and obey it in every way, not turning from the right to the left. And this can seem daunting, it's so difficult, but in verse 9, God reminds Joshua and us of his earlier exhortation, be strong and courageous. God has commanded this, don't be terrified, don't be discouraged. Because remember the great truth we have looked at earlier. We are not alone. The Lord our God will be with us wherever we go. We go forward in his presence, in his strength, to follow his word, to obey him, to be prosperous and successful. Thirdly, more briefly then, God's people be obedient together. We don't live our Christian lives in isolation and in these modern, rather insular times we can be in danger of forgetting this and we can lose sight of the need for and the benefits of our obedience and fellowship together. Well, after receiving the encouragements and instructions from God, Joshua immediately puts it into practice. He tells the people to pack up, saddle up and get ready to go. They've been camping on the east bank of the Jordan River for at least a month, if not more. But it's time to move on. They aren't at their final destination yet. Or at least most of them weren't. Two and a half tribes of Israel had sought an allotment of land from Moses in that area of land east of the river. The Reubenites, Gadites and half-tribe of Manasseh back in Numbers 32 had asked Moses if they could stay in that part of the land. Moses' response initially was, why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given them? 
So the people promised that although they would settle their families east of the Jordan, all able-bodied men would cross over to fight with their Israelite brothers. However, as the reality approaches, there would be the danger of division. The two and a half tribes could back out and decide to sit out the other battles. After all, it wasn't really their fight. They already had their land. The other tribes could be discouraged and bitter as they saw their fellow countrymen downing tools and leaving them to the fight in Canaan. So Joshua reminds the two and a half tribes of their promise to fight alongside their brothers. In Christian fellowship, we can sometimes face similar situations. And the same dangers of division and disunity can result today. I'm going to bring it right home to us here in Windsor Baptist as the gathered people of God in this place. At times, is there a danger that we don't see the fight as being ours personally? Well, yes, we can see that our other brothers and sisters should and must do this or that, but it's not applying to us. Are there parts of the mission of God's people in this place that we automatically opt out of? We've done our bits, but we'll let others cross the river and conquer the land, so to speak. As I stand here, I know in my own heart that I'm guilty of this. So often when I hear about aspects of the work of the church or when calls go out for helpers or volunteers, my automatic reaction is to draw up my list of reasons why it isn't my fight, why I shouldn't be involved. Yes, I'm happy to watch on the sidelines and see others moving ahead with it. But if this is a widespread attitude in our fellowship, then discouragement can all too likely be the result. Let's think of some specific examples when there are calls for help with junior church, with how can we love you, with Christianity Explorers, with iSports, with youth fellowship, with serving as a deacon as such elections will be coming soon, with joining missionary committee or serving on the evangelism team. What is our response? I know often my defensive reaction would be to say, well, I'm too busy and I can't do all these things, so I might end up doing nothing. I can all too, easy, easy, all too easily be happy to wave others off to the fight as I remain in the land that I have settled. And yes, of course, we can't and we shouldn't all be doing every single thing, but are we willing to join the fight wherever we can? What about joining a fellowship group as they have just started up again this last week? So often we can think it won't matter if we don't go. We won't be missed. Or the prayer meetings in the church. We lose sight of the fact that our very presence at the fellowship groups, at the prayer meetings, is so often an encouragement to our fellow Christians, whether we even say anything or not. And that by withdrawing ourselves from these things, we are withdrawing ourselves from the fight, leaving our brothers and sisters to go on without us. But by being there, by obeying together, by taking up the fight alongside our brothers and sisters, we encourage one another. Don't let us just go to that which we think encourages us. But let us, as the writer of the Hebrews says, not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Well, what was the people's response? Well, in verse 16, they say, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. 
Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. And they expressed this strongly, even on pain of death, as you can see from reading on. And then they turn to Joshua and they reiterate God's word back to their new leader as they say to him, Joshua, only be strong and courageous. What must that have meant to Joshua? This new leader stepping out in faith from Moses' shadow with all the uncertainty that lay ahead, yet seeing the people of God united together in obedience, willing to take up the fight alongside their brothers and sisters and the people supporting and encouraging him back in return. I wouldn't be surprised if Joshua was more than a bit choked up at this point. What an encouragement it would be to each one of us here in Windsor, but especially to our leaders, to our pastors, David and Roy, to the elders, if we together determine that we will obey together. We will move forward in unity as God's people here in this church. We will take up the fight wherever we can. We will encourage one another in fellowship together as we meet in homes across the city to be there for one another, to pray and support one another. And as we come together here to pray where really the true fighting is done, surely that would encourage our leaders and us to be strong and courageous. To conclude, in today's world, in 2009, what does true successful living look like? It's remembering that God is with you. No matter how alone modern life and stresses might make you feel, the all-powerful God of the universe is with you. No matter what trials you might have to face this day, tomorrow, or throughout your life, God is with you. And no matter what, he will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous. Successful living is faithful living, obedient living, soaking ourselves in God's word every day, every night, thinking it, speaking it, knowing it, dreaming it, living it, and we will be prosperous and successful. So be strong and courageous. Successful living is fellowship and obedience together as the community of God's people in this place, as we fight together, following the mission that God has given us in this place, encouraging one another, helping one another, encouraging our leaders. So let us be strong and very courageous.